0: Hi everybody, Adam Cook from Campus Inc. in the NIL store. Want to say real quickly, thank you so much for listening and joining us on this journey. And as a reminder, if you ever need any custom merchandise, youth jerseys, camp t-shirts, whatever it may be, you can always find us at campus.inc. And of course, for all your NIL needs, nil.store. We're going to jump into the episode. I hope you enjoy.
1: Hey everyone, it's Steven from Campus Inc. Back for another episode of the NIL show. We have an awesome guest today down from Florida, Will Cowan, um, and I'm gonna let Adam Cook introduce him. Adam, we got...
0: Yeah, joining us uh, from Tallahassee, we'll really appreciate you taking the time. You have an unbelievable uh, resume. You have a long-standing uh, career in athletics and education. Um, You were an athletic administrator at the high school level, college athletic administrator up until two thousand eighteen. Spent some time as an AD, uh, NACTA Athletic Director of the Year for two thousand eighteen. Official Hall of Fame inductee as of two thousand twenty-one. You've also spent some time uh working on the player development and economic development side at florida state you've dabbled in uh, if we can say your experience has dabbled i'd say it's 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 uh, significantly more than that, but you were the NIL task force chair at Florida State as well. And then now, as of May uh, 2022, serving as uh, the chief operating officer of Rising Spear, which is uh, the NIL collective down at Florida State. So, Will, we're super grateful to have you here. Uh, can't wait to learn from your experience and, and talk all things Florida State uh, collectives and, and NIL today. Thanks for being with us.
2: Well, Adam, first of all, it's a pleasure to join this wonderful uh, podcast, and I'm honored to be here. And secondly, when you're in this business long enough, they put you on more committees, and the more committees <laughs> you serve on then they can write these things about you. But now, uh, only some of it's true, only the good parts. But again, I, I it's a pleasure it. to be here, and uh, always love to chop it up and talk some NIL.
0: Yeah, well, let's I mean, let's just kick it off right there. Tell us tell us a little bit about Rising Spear, uh, what your role is there and uh, and what Rising Spear is all about.
2: So Rising Spear was founded uh, right before the fall recruiting season in December by Alan Flamenhoff and Bob Davis, both former members of the Seminole Booster uh, Executive Board because of the state law in Florida. And we're going to get into some of that regulatory drama later. Alan and Bob had to resign from the booster board to start this collective. Through my work, as you mentioned, in economic development, we'd been very close over the years. And they reached out and we talked and I gave them as much advice as I could, albeit I was still employed by the campus. And basically, if you fast forward to right around March madness time of year, um, they had some conversations with our athletic director, Michael Alford, and we talked many times and they asked essentially if I would retire, hence the Tommy Bahama gear at four o'clock on Monday, <laughs> that I would retire from Florida State, at least temporarily, to operate this collective because that's the only legal way I could help these kids get some deals. Yeah. So that's my involvement. Uh, basically, I've been at it for about two months now. And the biggest pushes for me are to develop partnerships in the exact space we're about to get into with national merchants that can help our players grow their brand and then of course locally we do a lot of things too with our local businesses and we try to tie all that in as well
1: will could you talk a little bit okay you mentioned the boosters early on um and that kind of group could you mention that relationship and how it relates to the collective just so people kind of understand the difference between the booster versus the collective versus the university
2: yeah well florida state's very unique seminal boosters inc is an is organi- a f- direct support fundraising organization with over 30 employees. That is not normal in Division I athletics. It's a much, much larger organization that manages property in college town, big time facility renovations. That all flows under Seminole Boosters. So it's not the typical Division I fundraising mechanism. So quite honestly, the athletic director and the president of Seminole Boosters really have to work closely together on those initiatives. They are institutional employees. So as it pertains to NIL, the Rising Sphere Collective is not officially affiliated with Florida State, and Mm -hmm. I am no longer an employee. And it's not the communication that's the issue. It's that if you're employed by the state of Florida, meaning you're a college employee, you can't arrange or compensate your players. So mm-hmm. it's not the communication on our part. We talk all the time. It's the fact that Coach Hamilton in men's basketball cannot get on the phone with GEICO and set up a deal for one of his players when in other right. states right next door that might not be the case with uh, Mr. Sabin and his Aflac Duck, so to speak. So there are many variances <laughs> from state to state that we have to navigate here uh, with legislative changes. Now you say, well, why did that happen? Well, that stems from – the Alston case about a, a, a little over a year ago in the Supreme Court and the NCAA not necessarily wanting to regulate NIL like they do recruiting. So, guys, the recruiting rulebook is, you know, about 12, 13, 14 <laughs> inches deep. And the NIL is about three sentences. OK, <laughs> yes. so because of that, every state did what it needed to do. And some states like Florida tried to create a bill that the athletes could monetize their NIL and that it was what it was supposed to be. Well, these other states come along and they're like, well, we don't necessarily agree with all that. And we're just going to let the schools do whatever they want or blow up the law altogether and just say, hey, do whatever you want, as long as you don't do these three things. So that's kind of the relationship.
0: I remember uh, I remember taking my. My like recruiting compliance exams that you had to do to, you know, be, be up to date or whatever. And, you know, having to literally study for those. Mm -hmm. I don't think, don't think there's too much studying going on in terms of uh, NIL (laughs) NIL compliance
2: right now. No, there's three rules. You can't pay a recruit. You can't tie a contract to stats. And if you pay a student athlete, they actually have to work. So if you'd like my my legal Zoom 101 from my retired <laughs> living room, there's the NCAA's policy on NIL.
1: So, Will, you guys started – so the collective really kicked off a couple months ago formally? So or
2: opened. It, it was like a soft opening in December, but surrounding spring football is when we really went after it.
1: Gotcha. Um, and, and is the main vehicle to crowdfund? Is it to go to like – very specific donors. I've seen a lot of different like methods to how some of the collectives are working. What is like the approach that that you all are taking?
2: Stephen? that's a great question. So our approach, we're uh, we're like a, one of those chameleon dragons. We are multifaceted. We have a profit side, which is our gold side, and we have a not-for-profit side, which is our garnet side. So I'll talk about the garnet side first. We absolutely have a crowdfunding mechanism. We power that with e-team sponsor, best fundraising technology in the business. So for the average fan or donor, if they want to support a specific team, it's a one click, push the button, donate your money toward that team. If you wanna help softball, that's where hundred percent of the money goes. We will then take that information, try to convert them into a monthly sponsor or donor, things of that nature. But basically, we have the crowdfunding mechanism for anybody to donate to support the athletes in any sport that they want. We also do target larger donors, and that's a big play for us also strategically, and that's where we're going to really start improving our local communication as we get more comfortable with everything and come up with a real strategy as to how to approach those donors for a tax deductible donation. You say, well, how's that possible? Well... Full tax write-off for you, the donor, Stephen. So when you give me the first $1,000 to support beach volleyball, you write the whole thing off on your taxes. We in turn work directly with the beach volleyball players to identify a charitable organization. And it's not just like a youth volleyball clinic. This could be something in the realm of empowering young women. This could be mental health, any charitable organization under the sun the volleyball team will promote work directly with those individuals and get paid an appearance fee to do that. And people are like, well, Why are you paying them to do community service? Well, that's easy. They have a full academic load. They practice 20 hours a week for beach volleyball. They've got all their other media commitments. Many of them have to have jobs because volleyball is mm-hmm. a partially funded sport. And then you wonder why we pay an athlete an extra couple thousand dollars a year because they've earned it. That's the reason.
0: Yeah, pay them what they're worth, right?
2: They absolutely deserve it. So that's how our not-for-profit works. The for-profit side, you can always do the traditional thing that if some business, Jomo Bank down the road, wants to work with an athlete, we would help set that deal up. But that's not our preference. What we want businesses to do is sponsor Rising Spirit. Give us a marketing buy and let us fill the inventory so we could have this podcast like we're on now powered by business X, Y, Z, right? And then that business is on the screen instead of like my living room as the backdrop, getting promotion every week. Um, And in turn, we would have the funding to help compensate the athletes. So that's really how we engage with businesses more is we we can do a direct marketing buy, but a business can do that without us. Um, But what, what, what we can provide that a business can't without us is that direct access, that weekly content that we can put together uh, with all the student athletes? Gotcha. So that's kind of how we approach it on on both sides.
1: Now, I'm looking at the website and it's really impressive. Uh mm-hmm. it's risingspear.com and you know it's super easy to donate. You can literally, it's either gold or garnet, and you can get started. Did you work with you said you worked with an agency to do this? Or how like good point.
2: It, so Z- big shout out to Zimmerman uh, media agency in town. They designed the website with us. Um, also, one media, John Neiser, who took care of that, that awesome drone video right at the beginning. That is uh, first class, in my opinion. Um, so we've got some really talented people in Florida State. It's the capital. Um, so we've got a great marketing agency helping us with that. We've got a guy like Neiser. Then if you look at our social media, we've got KCAMP down in Tampa, handling all our Twitter and Instagram and those things. And that, that's helpful. So again, we approach it with our philosophies to accumulate talent. Uh, Fortunately, when you've been in this business long enough, you meet a lot of talented people and we try to accumulate as many Mm -hmm. as we can on our team. Um, And that's how we do it at rising spirit. We're not in a top five, 10 populated media market. Uh, We don't have that ability in North Florida. So we do it much more creatively. We do it with authentic relationships and working with really talented people. Uh, well, what do you, have you seen so far from the, from the Tallahassee community just in terms of
3: businesses and their appetite for NIL? Have you been pleased so far?
2: Um, no, and it's not the business's fault. Hmm. It's, it's the leaders. It's our fault. We're a year into NIL, and I can tell you what we're planning. In fact, my phone just rang when the, as soon as this, uh, this podcast began. We're going to really educate the community in a first-class manner, talking about having an event in the Champions Club within the next month or so. We're going to invite in the Chamber of Commerce, the Black Chamber of Commerce. We're going to bring in the key people in the political realm. We'll bring in everybody of possible NIL importance, all the college town vendors right near the campus. And we're really going to educate them on all these different verticals because for the last 50 years, If you own a business, you were told, no, it was a hard, no, (laughs) you can't help these young men and women. And fundamentally, I think that's the biggest thing we've missed in this whole NIL space is educating the businesses. The donors get it. The people that buy the season tickets that want you to win, they seem to understand that you have to have NIL deals now. It's not those people, but It's empowering the local businesses and big businesses to activate NIL. And that's what's so great about Florida State is we've got the Seminole Boosters relationship. We've got Learfield's relationship representing our multimedia rights. And then we've got the smaller local businesses. So we can package that at a level that's affordable for the person, right? Not everybody's got the same marketing budget and that's the beauty of rising Spear. You have a $5,000 a month budget. We can work with that. And we'd love to work with someone with a half a million dollar budget too. But that's different. And it requires a different skill set and a different uh, package. And we can do. Uh,
1: I think what's, what's really interesting. So like we're in Champaign, Illinois, a hundred thousand people, yeah. half of them are students and a ton of local small businesses. So we are planning or like the Illini side are planning to put on the first ever NIL golf open actually where players can play with small businesses, where there's going to be a meet and greet afterward. And what we've learned while marketing it is people just don't know. They, they, they hear about this word NIL, but the everyday, like we were talking to our banker and they're like, is that legit? Like, and I'm like, it's legit. What are you talking about? You know? Um, (laughs) and, and I think to that point, the donors do know about this, but people in the community, they don't, they don't really get it, and I think what they don't maybe get is NIL is way bigger than football and 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 basketball, right? Like you talked about volleyball, right there, and and you know sure. not being co- totally funded. I think there's a lot of merit to be to be said there that education needs to happen across all levels of NIL.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think the second, the number one is you're right, though the, the is number one, and you can do it a lot of different ways. But the second thing is. Too many people wrap NIL up with social media metrics. Yes, mm. Instagram, Twitter, mm-hmm. TikTok, those are important verticals, and that is one of the best ways for marketing to happen these days. I fully understand that. But there are so many more creative ways to activate in NIL without social media through public appearances like you're talking. And depending on the state law in Illinois, you can do a little bit more in that golf tournament perhaps the school can be involved more in the coaches. And there's a lot of things to have a successful golf tournament that you're going to need access to. Um, And it doesn't matter how you do it. We work with a company called market price. So we've created basically a dating app where we have all our players profiles on half of the platform. And we've got Mm -hmm. at this point, almost 200 businesses on the other side. When those local businesses figure out, they can set up a free account on market price and communicate with our athletes That's going to be huge. But again, it's, we're all sports guys, right? You got to execute the play. It doesn't matter what play you call. If you can't execute the play, the play that the coach draws up is worthless. And the Mm -hmm. point where we are right now, guys, in NIL is there's a lot of people pulling for a lot of different money, but very few people have figured out how to truly execute on that um, and, and engage the people they need to. Um, I think what we're seeing as far as just people trying to solve the problem by throwing money at it, that's going to correct itself at some point in time.
0: Yeah. Well, and and you talk about this a lot. We've had... Uh, we've had student athletes on here, you know, Stephen Ashworth last week talk about connecting with his community. Um, We have Michelle Meyer at San Diego State talk about leveraging the local community. And that, that is such an important piece of it because that, you know, when you talk about college athletics, when you talk about the university ecosystem, being plugged into that local community is crucial. Uh, Not just because of the people that are close in proximity, but that's also, a you know, oftentimes a pretty big alumni network as well, right? You got people who graduate, stick around the area, open businesses, and are really excited about pouring back into the university and seeing it, it be successful. Um, but if they don't understand how important or how big that NIL space is, not just for the student athletes, but what an opportunity it is for them as, as a small business, um, they're going to miss it there.
2: Yeah. And it works both ways. If you do it right, one plus one equals three, right? Of course, it's nice for this, any business to uh, help compensate the student-athletes for their NIL, but what those businesses have to understand is the marketing value and to utilize it in a manner to grow their business. What do I mean by that? Well, if you want to use social media as an example, the average college student athlete's following is heavily like 16 to 30-year-olds and uh, that follow a college student-athlete. So you have to say, well... If I own a, if I'm a dentist and the and my patients average 50 years old and up, that's probably not the best buy for me. But if (laughs) at the same time I own a business that is based upon having Taco Tuesday full of college kids, and the next night it's a trivia and on down the line, that's the access that we get, plus the leverage of the high schools and their parents. So though you have to understand. The power of nil for the business's benefit too and that's how we construct these concepts is how we can help the business and the athlete i i think
1: what's really interesting is you become a fan of your favorite you know when you're a young kid you become a fan and you get hooked on something and you hold on to that for a very long time right like i was a d brown fan in eighth grade when mm. you know they went to the final four that's why i went to illinois That's why I followed, you know, and I think what businesses have to realize is, you know, these, these athletes, it might be volleyball or soccer. We're not, you know, they are hometown heroes to these kids. And if they can get them in at a young age, like those are the best kind of fans to get. I guess, Sean, did you see this at Maryland as like how much you all did for like high school engagement, like whether it was in the community, what, what was that like for you guys in the basketball team?
3: I mean, we were always thinking about, as we were marketing the fans, we were always thinking about how are we developing this next generation of fans? It's critical, right? And you can't always rely on wins and losses um, to to generate the next generation of fans. I was the same way as you, Steven. You're, you had D Brown. Mine was Juan Dixon. <laughs> Juan Dixon at Maryland. They won the national title and that made me want to be a Maryland fan for life. Um, and so you're just kind of trying to find ways to create experiences that, uh, kids remember for the rest of their lives and you're building that next generation that, so that hopefully they go to school there and they give back for the rest of their lives as well. And they feel that connection forever. Yeah,
2: And Sean and Steven, you know, another thing that I think, and yes, the fan engagement in those college towns is huge. Okay. 1995, Tyus Edney, coast to coast UCLA for a national title is huge. I remember that like the back of my (laughs) head. Coach Herrick was a good friend of mine at that time. Um, but that's not the only thing. These student athletes are also hometown heroes where they come from. So Mm -hmm. what we have a lot here, even though it's Tallahassee is we've got the whole state of Florida, uh, Georgia, those neighboring States, Atlanta, all the way up, you know, to the Carolinas and these student athletes can take this brand that they've built at Florida state and also in part and foster that goodwill in their hometown as well. So it's really all about that's
0: that's what we've seen. Yeah. And that's what we've seen, you know, athletes across the board, regardless of of how, you know, how many times they've seen or how many minutes they've seen as as freshmen. You know, if you're going and you're playing at a big time program, you're it. Right. Like coming out of your hometown, coming from your high school, uh, you really are you know, the, the thing, the, the, the item that everybody's focusing on and it really is a a cool opportunity. That's why
2: we got to get that merch out there and we got to give those, those communities a chance to participate (laughs) and then host events, right? Like that's the biggest thing is if we've got some verticals for these athletes to make the money, then I can pick up the phone and call such and such bar in that hometown bar and grill and say, Hey, so-and-so is going to be in town you know, on, on the off weekend, what do you think is setting something up and we can help them, um, grow their brand that way as well.
3: Well, it's a great point that you had uh, about the hometown hero thing. We, we have Mac Leonard from Florida state sure. softball team. She's sensational. We've loved working with her and she did a lot of great stuff locally in Tallahassee, but she also recognized, yeah, I, I do have a great, uh, audience in Illinois and she just worked with another athlete, one of her best friends from Oklahoma state to put out a shirt that's just as Illinois made. And it has the club that they both played <laughs> softball for growing up. So, um, capitalizing on those different areas is critically important. It's certainly something we try to do on our end with our sure, merchandise. Sure. And on our end,
2: I mean, you hit women's softball right now. Talk about the national oh. audience. It's, it's a, it's a huge sport. It's, it's awesome. amazing. But- Specifically in our case I met with coach uh, last uh, last week and they are that thing's a machine just talking to them and that staff the connectivity and the plans and the thought that goes into it uh I can't wait to blow softball out of the box with some of the things we're planning both yeah. with you guys and then like we've started doing watch parties where we rewatched a big win with three or four players online at 3000 views cool and we're only two episodes in so yeah, we're going to blow some of those sports Good out idea. of the box. People have to realize at Florida State that our women's athletics are top of the country every year in the Learfield Cup. Um, I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, Women's yeah, soccer? They just took the natty, but it's top to bottom. It's tennis. It's golf. It's women's basketball. It's volleyball. It's beach runner-up every year. Or, or now our conference mm-hmm. champion like six times in a row. It's nonstop. We got baseball on the rise. Men's basketball sells out the arena every time they play somebody. So, it's it's inclusive, and we're going to really try to maximize the brand building for all those sports in the next.
1: Well, w- what's your team look like? Like I've talked to a lot of collectives around the country around the country where it's a one man band, and there's a lot of not a lot of people just scrapping. <laughs> um, a lot of volunteer based like It sounds like you guys have a lot of traction. What, do, How do you personally do it all?
2: Well, it's tough. I personally, I have one student intern, Caleb, who works for me. Matthew Quigley handles all our development and such. So he does a lot of the heavy lifting and the fundraising. Bob Davis, one of our co-founders, is a retired CPA. So he's very helpful in that world. Alan is a highly successful business owner out of both Connecticut and Orlando. So he can help connect there. It's a team effort. The thing is, it would be great to have 10 people working for the collective, but at some point in time, um, that's (laughs) going to be difficult to sustain if you want the athletes to get any money. Um, Right. There's a reason why marketing agencies charge so much money Um, Mm -hmm. because it's not cheap. Okay. Yeah. And we're not envisioning running a marketing agency. We're envisioning trying to open every avenue we can for our athletes. Um, and create great partnerships um, and find great partners that can handle some of that heavy lifting. If some company called me and said, Hey, we want you to sell these cool posters. It's like, who, how, who's going to make them? Who's fulfilling it? Who's shipping them? Whose mm-hmm. who's yeah. attorney does the paperwork? How do we handle payments? These are all the things. So there's, this is a, a pet peeve of the fact that somehow we, when NIL happened, Every vendor, merchant under the sun or legal expert, financial expert, people are coming out of the woodworks, leaving their profession to get into NIL Mm -hmm. with absolutely no background in how education works and everything you do in the back end in order to get student athlete A to do what you need them to do to make money. It's time consuming and it is horrifically frustrating to talk to particularly people that pitch the collectives every day on a business opportunity of which we have to do all the work. Let me let everyone in on a little secret. No collective has a staff to do that work. So that's a huge thing is trying to find those partners that understand. um, And that can help uh, with the deliverables, quite frankly.
1: And and, and for that reason, Will, this is a tough question. and, And I think we can ask it is the longevity of collectives like do you think they're sustainable like do you think obviously like all this new rush collectives are popping up but do you feel like some are going to burn out in the process like what are you seeing happen because as you talk about this this is a volunteer effort um do you worry about about that at all
2: Okay. Well, point of clarification, I am getting paid by the collective and so is Matt, (laughs) but we're being paid out of Alan, our founder's wallet. It's not, it's nothing's coming out of the money we generate. We have a very generous founder that is paying our salaries. That being said, we've already Mm -hmm. seen this burnout. We've seen collectives like disappear. We've seen collectives. It will absolutely burn you out. And a part of the burnout is trying to do things that don't uh, match the value. So you can come up with this great donor incentive program, but if you're bringing in $50 a donation, and you're spending an hour on each one packaging up something to send them. That's not worth it. So we have to be really intelligent how we spend our time, but in the long term, collectives as of today, no, it's not sustainable. Um, one of two things is going to happen. Um, and I'm, I know one has a crystal ball, One of two things, either this will become collectively bargained very soon and certain sports will probably become employees of the institution, rendering it horrifically challenging to fund the other sports. Mm -hmm. When you start factoring in insurance and benefits and shared uh, media opportunities, I think the thing I would caution and because there's a title nine play there, that's what's going to make that really challenging. Um for Mm -hmm. long-term sustainability. I, for one, don't think that's going to happen. In our near future, I think there's a a much greater solution that can work really specifically with football um, and helping them govern in in a way that makes sense for Power 5 football and not necessarily have Power 5 football following the same rules as some of the smaller institutions. I think at some point you have to recognize the differences and make some adjustments in governance for football, as it deservedly needs to be, right? Mm -hmm. And as the schools become more involved, I think that will take some of the load off of these collectives. And I think that's the smarter play, uh, is to work together um, and not have collectives working uh, as rogue um, entities.
0: So do you see those kind of falling back underneath an official umbrella of the university? If I
2: operated a university, public or private, that's what I would want, because as an athletic director, you want control. And I'll give you the most Mm -hmm. simple, basic example of economic development 101. If you were building a new stadium in Champaign, and that stadium required the naming rights, and say, for example, you went after the, uh, the casino, is it Rivers? What's that big old casino right there in Rye-Rosemont? Whatever. I'm just thinking of a casino. <laughs> Rivers. You went out yeah, Rivers, Rivers Casino yeah, Rivers, right there yep. by O'Hare Airport. Okay. And that's a big play. You're going to be asking them for six, seven figures over a long period of time. Okay. And that's the type of thing that school and their universities and their development people do really well. If you're in the middle of that negotiation... And here comes the Illini Collective that comes marching in three days later, (laughs) knocks on the door at whomever runs Rivers Casino and says, hey, how about 50 grand for uh, the Johnny Smith, the running back? How silly do we all look? Right. Mm -hmm. That type of development is coordinated and it would be as if I'm operating a school, I want control over that. And I would much rather assist in the NIL process than watch a collective basically work in circles around what my staff is already doing. So
3: if yeah. I was operating
2: it, in that, space, it feels I a would lot. want the alignment. I would not want this current structure that we have.
0: It feels a lot like where where we were when this all came out in a lot of states with the hyper restrictive legislation around what the institutions could do, where you know, the student athletes are trying to figure out NIL, generate opportunities for them. And the only entity that was barred from having any of the conversations around it was the institutions. And so you've got, you know, student athletes going out there, signing contracts, going to the university saying, is this good? And they're like, sorry, we can't help you. Like that, that lack of transparency, lack of coordinated effort really causes a lot more problems than actually solves them.
2: Absolutely. The, the, from an educational standpoint, the universities must be much more involved. And that's going to take some resource. We all understand that. But really, there's two different types of NIL going on right now. And I think that's a lot of those hyper restrictive policies were based on the assumption that student athletes were going to be going out, perhaps working with agents and then being compensated based on some fair market value for what they're doing. And those are all the things we've been discussing in the last half hour or so. But a lot of what you're seeing isn't any of that. And it's just it, quite honestly, if it's not pay for play, it's pretty close when you hear if any of what you hear is true with uh, some of the, the salaries that certain athletes claim to be getting. But when they walk in the door to university, so I don't think any of us expected to see that happen so quickly. Um, but then again, as every state started to move in its own direction, it became obvious that that was the way it was going to be so now to compensate for that the schools need to get more involved take some of that control back and responsibility by the way uh to help make sure these athletes are compensated
1: and and will in a perfect world the way you just explained it who initiates the ncaa is like we've been through hell in the in the legal system who initiates you know is that on a federal level is that on a state level is that university presidents going together and saying Hey, these collectives should probably be, you know, under the universities at some point. Like, how does that vehicle even start? Are we ever going to see that? Or is that just like a wish?
2: Well, clearly the easiest thing to say is, you know, let the Federal Trade Commission and Congress handle it because that's what they do. Well, in my personal opinion, they have much greater priorities, in my opinion, in the Pentagon and, and on Capitol Hill <laughs> than to try to regulate NIL. Because at the end of the day, um, the television conglomerates, which will remain nameless, are in great control of the money. And when you move past the television money, you move into the multimedia marketing money and all of the MMR partners out there. Um, And then we get down to your fundraisers on the campus level. And those are the people that control all the money in college sports. And there's a lot of it. So as opposed to asking Congress to solve it for you, if I was a probably a conference or two that seemed to be uh, very proactive in this space, knowing the federal antitrust concerns, without colluding, I would suggest that at least two of these conferences that are full of really talented football programs start having some conversations independently um, and figuring out a way to handle it at the conference level because it will be a long time before anything happens federally. And to the if the federal government would like to solve an issue, how about we bring up the international students being excluded completely from NIL um, with the exception <laughs> to a few that yep. can afford an, off, an agent in their home country and a business that operates on another continent. Um, but that yep. would be an issue I would like to see the federal government take on far before any type of NIL regulation that will take years.
0: Let's let's get right what we have in front of us before we go on solving a bunch no, of other no. problems. I mean kind of in that in that same path um, I'd love just to kind of hear a, a little bit of your hot take on some of this conference realignment.
2: Well, I think I kind of answered most of it for you as it's dictated by the dollar um, and anybody that's knocking UCLA and USC for what they're doing is out of their mind. Because UCLA went from a current deficit, which was based a lot on their Under Armour deal going through, going under, to potentially being fifty to a hundred million dollars in the green after a couple of years in the Big Ten. So we're we're talking about thirty some million dollars to near a hundred million dollars annual revenue. That's where it. That's where it is. Um, so my thoughts on conference realignment are: follow the money. Uh, mm. I don't know. No one's got a crystal ball. What's going to happen with that? I don't know if you want to ask me anything more specific, <laughs> but I can tell you it's dictating it. And it certainly isn't the geographic location of sending your tennis team from USC to Maryland. Um, which clearly will happen yeah. or playing softball doubleheaders headers at, at, in Penn state in March. That sounds fun.
0: Well, and all, all that revenue <laughs> shift uh, it really comes without changing anything. That revenue is so
2: great that, I mean, charter flights and all those things are expensive and paying for tutors to travel and food and everything that comes with all that. None of that even scratches the surface of the amount of money that was generated by adding Los Angeles to the, to that big 10 deal. So Wow. When you look at yep. the next domino is Notre Dame. And another interesting tidbit is everybody says, well, they asked NBC for $75 million. Let's not forget. They're still getting paid by the ACC for the other sports. And that's not a small mm-hmm. chunk of change. So I think mm-hmm. that card has to fall. And then quite frankly, what really boils down to then are the, the powerful schools, which I believe the Florida state brand is one of in the ACC. You have Washington, you have Oregon, Oregon, Mm-hmm. those schools are all going to be somehow committed to media rights. And it's sure. going to be honestly up to the networks mm-hmm. to help get them in or out of what is needed um, because nobody's blowing up the grant of rights in the ACC um, unless it happens right. in some collective fashion or with ESPN. because clearly most of the schools in the ACC are very happy with where they are.
1: Will, if, if I could ask, and maybe even, I just like, really interesting to hear your takes on this. We talked a little bit offline about Fanatics, um, sure. if you don't mind. And they just announced something at Alabama going on when they're doing some, they're going to do an in-venue NIL experience. And we've got something going on that we're building digitally to, um, to provide for all of that FSU students. What are they doing and, and whose pockets, like where will that money really go? Will Will a lot of it go right back to the athletes? Is this, can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Well, I can tell you from what limit, I mean, I, I only know what I read, but mm-hmm. literally, first of all, the idea of selling NIL merch in your arena and stadium is a very wise idea.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: If I was operating a... If I was the retailer in those venues, I would be very careful to look at what I have to pay to get that product wholesale, and I would be very interested politically in the athlete being taken care of. Uh, What I would be looking for as a student athlete is a scenario that I have no problem for me as a student athlete, if I'm using the school marks, that the school be compensated and I, the athlete, be compensated. What I'd be looking for as an athlete is something that feels either neutral or favorable to me, the athlete. Now, I don't know what Fanatic's official take is. And I don't know what their terms are with Alabama. And I would venture to assume their terms are different with every school they agree to um, because that's the nature of group sure. licensing. I know that there's uh, some very a very large company in group licensing that's probably managing that whole thing for them. And I can tell you for a fact that their terms are not the same with every school as far as the royalties or the cut for the athletes or for that matter, what the Nike product is sold for. Um, that's the nature of that business. And it is not equitable across the board. It's not. Hmm. Um, there That's un- interesting. It's negotiable. I can guarantee you every school's royalties are not equal.
1: I I think what's interesting is I've, you know, a bunch of people have sent me this and the approach that we take doesn't really change whether we wholesale or retail. We take an active, we take an active role in the athletes NIL um, and active means, you know, 20 to 30 percent because we believe that's that's equitable and and fair. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, do the athletes. Oh, there's my jersey, but I'm only making, you know. Two bucks on it. Yeah, you you know, know,
2: um, there's a big shift right now, and and I we all grew up in the era where certain brand shoes, whether it was the pumps with Reebok, and then it was Nike. There was always the cool (laughs) brand of whatever it is that you wanted to wear, whether that was Adidas or whoever. It doesn't (laughs) matter. Um, Depending on your sport, if you're a soccer fan, you may still be Adidas. Whatever. NIL is changing philosophically what the consumer buys. When we were growing up, we bought the brand. And in my case, if, if Nike was the coolest brand, then that's the one I wanted to wear. And if Tommy Bahama is the coolest brand, that's the one I'm going to wear now. But NIL isn't about the brand anymore. And this is the pivot that some of these businesses need to understand is now that it's NIL, your logo is a little less valuable than it once was because people are buying that individual's name and number um, mm. and that's just a philosophical change and when I talk to our athletes uh, again, of course, I want the school to make as much money as they can. It's in everyone's best interest that, in our case, Florida State is profitable, but I am also looking mm-hmm. out for the athletes mm-hmm. and we would never tell an athlete, no, don't do a Fanatics deal if one was presented. Well, I mean, it's, it'd be insane to say, no, don't sell your stuff on Seminals.com." But it's just like in business, nobody does one thing anymore. It's linearly like I just it's not like I just do this. So if you're a student athlete, you need to have like a brand philosophy and perhaps have multiple avenues of merch. Like maybe you do sell a T-shirt and a hoodie on Fanatics but maybe you have a better Jersey deal somewhere else, or perhaps you're doing an NFT over here. You've got to be strategic as an athlete building your brand. Um, and I I hold nothing against fanatics. They're doing exactly what they should do with Alabama. Um, but all I would know is the terms of whatever I see in front of me when that day comes at Florida state, that they want to do that. Um, but in the meantime, what I encourage all of our retailers to do is to look at the options out there for wholesale and find the product that people want. And the difference now is people want what the athletes are. So as our best athletes build their brand around whatever merch they're selling, that's what the, the consumer wants. And that's what the retailers got to now figure out is it's not so much it's co-branded and co-branded is tough for people to swallow because used yeah, totally right.
0: Yeah, we we we, we talk about this a of lot. With, with I think co-branding kind of is look- better
2: most of the time unless you have a real household star like Charlie Ward that everybody knew who he was. If Charlie Ward was an NIL back yeah. in 93, he didn't need co-branded anything. You can sell anything you wanted in the state of Florida, but for most athletes, I'm all for co-branding. But it's but the retailers need to understand people are going to buy what the athlete pushes and who that athlete is. Well,
0: and that's that's a really that that kind of buying psychology around you know what the consumers are doing now in this NIL space is it's really interesting. We talk about that a lot. Is you know everybody's kind of trying to apply the pro model here, and that's not really. The environment that's not the ecosystem that's in place. As a consumer, you're you're buying exactly what you said: the name and number on the back, the face on the front, the the vision or you know the 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 mission behind whatever the athlete is pushing. You don't really care, you know who who the brand or the logo is because that's not what you're buying. You're buying you know essentially the athlete. Sure. NIL. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: and it's not it's, to it's, devalue it's the brand.
2: Whether you're at Oregon, Florida State, Washington, there's a lot of iconic brands. It's not devaluing the brand in any manner, Um, but it's how can the student athlete and the brand coexist in a manner where everybody wins? That's that one plus one equals three. It can be done, but you have to collaborate. Um, Do I think there's going to be a day very soon when you see the top selling female soccer jersey for sale on a campus bookstore? I absolutely do. Very soon. That day is coming. So it's not just going to be the quarterback or the point guard, so to speak. Right. Um, And and I think
1: that that, that's the it used to be a or conversation. And and that's where it needs to be an and conversation. You know, we love that Fanatics is able to service that market, but we also really care about softball and baseball and soccer and track and all that stuff. And it should be like you said, for the greater good of the athlete. And I think that's the part sometimes we struggle with is, you know, looking at what are the intentions um, Are the intentions just to fit, you know, and, and fit in or are the intentions to really pay the athletes what they're deserving of? So I think this is fantastic. This will, uh, I'm sure this episode will turn a lot of heads uh, and we're super, super appreciative of it. Adam, Sean, do you have any other, any other last questions?
0: I, I just wanted to know, you know, if you're a Florida state student athlete, how, how can they get connected with you at Rising Spear? Uh, yeah. Where, where, where can everybody find you and get connected?
2: That's the easiest thing ever. You go to risingspear.com and there's a, a form for the athlete. It asks for student athlete contact. It takes about 20 seconds and that goes right to my email. I mean. We're already awesome. working with nearly a hundred student athletes on campus. So I don't yeah. think at this point, rising spears is a secret. And again, <laughs> I just want to reiterate, cause as we're talking shop here, it's going to take a village to get NIL yep. done correctly. And I was talking to our licensing office today, um, between fanatics at Campus Inc. and maybe three or four other wholesalers out there. I think there's a place in this ecosystem for everybody. I think we ha- every every athlete's got to figure out what makes the most sense for them. And it's yeah. really about how can we all work together uh, to get this done. So for our end of it, um, that's why you don't see Rising Spirit. We don't do a lot of exclusive anything because it's too new and it's too early. Right now, the only thing we do exclusively is help athletes make Love money. Love it. That's our only exclusive <laughs> is to get them paid. Love it. Um, and everything Love else it. is going to be – Okay, we're talking to Adam. What is, what is, what, what's the best fit for this group? Great. Well, we're going to do that. But that doesn't mean that there may be some other retailer out there that wants a different vertical that we didn't talk about here. Other. Um, so. No.
0: That's, that's just the awesome. way it's going to cool. work. It's going to be great. Will Cowan, COO of Rising Spear Collective at Florida State University. Always a fascinating conversation. Always grateful for your time, your wisdom, uh, your experience. I'm Adam Cook from Campus Inc. Here with Stephen Farragh and Sean Ellenby. This has been another episode of the NIL Show. Hey, everyone. Adam Cook from Campus Inc. in the NIL Store. Just wanted to say thanks again for listening and joining us on this journey. And as a reminder, if you ever need any team wear, custom merchandise, rec or youth league jerseys, uh, fraternity and sorority wear, or company merchandise, we're always here for you. You can find us at campus.inc. And, of course, for all your NIL needs, nil.store.